Welcome to WMRK Radio Free Murktown. I'm your host, The Game Master. Our website is explorersunlimited.com where you can subscribe, donate, find other episodes, comment on this podcast, and find links and other information related to this episode. Our email address is radiofreemurktown at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you. Ulysses checked his mag as he took cover behind the stack of crates in the dimly lit warehouse. He was in over his head. He'd gotten involved in some next-level stuff. Now there were superhumans involved because he discovered too much. And here he was, stuck in a cold, dark warehouse with a 9mm and some boxes between him and certain death. What was he supposed to do now? After all, he was only a cat. She'd approached him three days ago, and in typical fashion for tales of this sort, she had the kind of lap he wanted to curl up in and sleep for days. That kind of lap usually spelled trouble. Her fiancé was missing, and she wanted to know if he could help. Of course, he had to convince her he was a detective first, and not the detective's pet. That was always the hardest part of securing a client. As usual, there was disbelief the moment he started talking. He tried to prepare for this by wearing clothes, little bespoke suits, usually with a waistcoat, that made him look pretty dapper for a cat. Shoes were out of the question. He couldn't hunt in them, but he managed to pull off the shoeless look quite well. Despite this, most new clients stood agape the first time he opened his mouth and something other than Meow came out. She was no exception. He told her he was the Ulysses of Ulysses Detective Agency, but she continued to despair dumbfounded at him. That's when he hauled out the scrapbook and slapped it down on the desk, opened it to the first page. The book was full of newspaper clippings, with titles like Hero Cat Saves Child, Cat Digs Up Stolen Hampstead Diamond, This Cat Don't Nap, Cat Detective Agency Makes Good, and so on. She flipped through them, stunned. She'd missed the stories, yet here she was, a testament to the unbeatable power of word-mouth advertising. She worked in receiving a little import-export business dockside and was engaged to the owner's son, who'd been missing until last night. He turned up with a suitcase full of sequential banknotes, lipstick on his collar, and a couple of bullets in his side. And by turned up, I mean floated to the top of the bay. She wanted to know all the W's, who, what, where, when, why, and how. And she was willing to pay in more than kibble. No, this was going to be an expensive case. We're talking wet food money. He agreed to take on the case, and she paid his retainer. Enough to pay the bills, maybe a little extra. The money at the end of the job, though, would be growth capital. Enough to do some real advertising, hire a crew of specialists. He thought about changing the name of the business to Ulysses Solutions and expanding to more than just detective work. Take on the cases the police won't touch. He'd made some contacts, but he'd need money to grease the palms at City Hall to let him run this kind of business. Sometimes those kinds of operations butt heads with police, and if that happened, he was going to need a friend at City Hall. All of that takes scratch, and boy, was she willing to scratch. It's probably a good idea to take some time now and give you the W's on how a cat was able to accomplish so much. Most cats lack ambition, but the observant among you will have noted by now that Ulysses was extraordinary. He didn't start out extraordinary, however. As a kitten, Ulysses, as he would later be named, was an average cat, orange tabby and not even the run of the litter. Yet it was this ordinariness that caused him to be chosen for what would end up being a most extraordinary future. He had no memory of this. His earliest memories were a few weeks later after the procedures had begun. Foggy memories of cages, needles, and rough handling by gloved human hands. 
He could see writing, but couldn't read the little folders that the humans carried when he could see them laying open. He'd come to learn what the procedures were, though, but at the time it was a painful daily mystery. As his long-term memory kicked in, it had been the only life he'd ever known. The same hands that cut and pricked were the hands that petted and fed. At least their eyes were kind. He'd never seen the rest of their faces hidden behind surgical masks. Once he'd shown a facility with mimicry, they began to teach him in earnest. Walking upright, talking, reading. He took to all these with a notable verve. He wanted to be able to talk to them, walk like them, know what they knew. One day, which Ulysses considered his birthday, one of the masked researchers came in, pulled the nameplate off his cage, and tossed it in the trash. When he saw what was there, his eyes welled up with tears. The researcher said, Look here, and showed him a new nameplate, said Ulysses. The researcher said, We took a vote and decided you needed a new name. You'll like this one. Ulysses was a mighty explorer. We think it suits you. Ulysses purred and said, Thank you. The experiments changed. Less injections and no more surgeries. Now they were interested in what he could do. He was subjected to classes and batteries of tests, both mental and physical. His accomplishments were punctuated with words like amazing, fascinating, uncanny, and astounding. He was pleased and pushed himself to excel in every test. Then came a day when the researchers came in unmasked. Ulysses, one said, I'm afraid our funding has run out. Our funders don't see any practical application for this procedure, despite our successes. Another piped up, a cute female human with small square glasses. They wanted a weapon, and we gave them a fully functioning person. The first researcher sighed. Ulysses, we've come to a decision. Our research plan didn't account for what a, a really astounding person you've become. Initially, it was stipulated that we destroy any biological test subjects after the experiment had completed. Another researcher, a mousy-looking man with rumpled hair, spoke up. We've decided to mutiny. The first researcher spoke again, dropping his key ring on the floor. I think if a test subject were to find these, it could be bad. They might be able to go down the hall, turn left, and take the fourth door on the right to find themselves outside. The girl researcher spoke up. He might even find an envelope in the bushes with cash in it. The mousy-looking man spoke. And if he were smart, he'd never look back. The first man turned to the others. We'd better be careful with these keys, then. He pointed to the key ring on the floor, and the other researchers nodded. Then they turned as one and left the room. Ulysses wasted no time. He'd opened his cage, he'd been able to for three months, grabbed the key ring, and sprinted out the door. He ran past the researchers, who yelled half-heartedly for him to stop, and he ran past a masked man pushing a cart. He recognized the symbol on the cart as he ran and read the words beneath it, Caution, Biological Waste. The man moved to grab him, but he vaulted over the outstretched hand. He came close enough to see the man's ID badge. He landed and slid ten feet further down the hall. He hit the wall and changed direction, running towards the door. He stopped only to use the keys to open the door, then vaulted into the bushes, grabbed the fat little envelope, and disappeared into the night. It took some doing to establish an identity and start his business. Everything was difficult, almost impossible, until he saved that missing child. Then the public was on his side, and he was able to expedite the paperwork to establish his identity. He decided to do what he does best, cats are naturally curious, and become a detective. 
Well, there was a lawsuit, of course. The institute that owned the lab had created him had attempted to recover their property. But by then, he had enough to hire a good lawyer who threatened them with bad publicity and with government regulators coming to scrutinize them. Even their own research team threatened to testify against the institute. They relented and paid some small damages in the settlement. Kibble money, really. More importantly, however, they signed over ownership of him to him. So he legally owned himself. His lawyer informed him that of that happening before with a tree, which established legal precedent. Ulysses had some minor successes as a detective, and he had some major ones. His chief asset was the ability to travel the city unseen once he stripped down to bare fur. No one suspected he was anything more than a slightly larger cat. His thumbs were especially hard to see at night, and thus he could gain all sorts of vantage points other detectives couldn't. Eventually, people learned this, and he was being offered more and more lucrative cases. Which brings us back to her. He sat with her as she told him about her fiancé. Leave no detail out, he said, and she obliged. By the end of the conversation, he knew everything about the man, one Mike Hunt, and had some idea of his real business, though he didn't say this to her as he'd need proof. He consoled her, reassured her, and collected a check from her before showing her out. This was a case that was going to require some legwork and technical savvy. He'd need phone records and a look at the man's computer and smartphone, and he'd need to trace the man's steps. He had a skill with computers, but he was no hacker. No, he was going to need a specialist. He picked up his phone and dialed a number. The voicemail he reached was for a pizzeria. He ordered a pizza with anchovies, left his address and phone number, and hung up. A few minutes later, his phone rang. Yeah, this is Cypher. What you need, Ulysses? The man's voice was as greasy as the pizza he pretended to sell. What do you think I need, Cy? I need data. A shit ton of it. I got a client who's engaged to a dead man, and I need his electronic particulars. They exchanged all the relevant info, and Ulysses hung up. Tomorrow or the next day, Ulysses could expect a large data dump via email from an anonymous server if Cy were successful at retrieving it, and he'd have to pour over it and look for anything unusual. If Cy was feeling generous, he'd look over it as the processes were running, but Ulysses had come to learn not to expect this as a rule. Cy was good. He wasn't the best, but he was what Ulysses could afford, and that was usually good enough. Now that the data concerns were being handled, he'd have to do the legwork. That typically meant talking to folks, finding out if the man had any enemies, or jealous lovers, or priors. Some of that was much harder to do as a cat, and in some cases, well, it was just easier just to skulk about. So he waited until nightfall and set out to do just that. It was cold, so he decided not to strip down to his fur and go clothed. Usually a good nine times out of ten, nobody'd ever see him. In this cold, it just made more sense to keep his suit on. The first stop was the man's house. The door had police tape across it. Uh, John Law's been here. He hopped up to a railing, then to a window ledge, up to the top of the porch roof, and over to a second-story window. Please be unlocked, he said as he tried the window. Jackpot. He slid inside, quiet as a ghost, leaving the window open. He was in a bedroom. Judging by the dust, it was a guest room. The police had ignored it. Good. He started with the closet, leaping from bed to dresser to top shelf. A few boxes up here, but nothing untoward. He did, however, smell a telltale smell from the ceiling. Sure enough, there was a small ceiling panel painted to match the rest of the closet. 
He shoved some boxes aside, slid the panel up and in. Smell hit him like a wall. Oil and gunpowder. He reached up and found a gun wrapped in a cloth. Mikey, what do you need a heater for? He looked for the serial number and found it filed off. He shook his head disdainfully and put the gun back. A forensics lab could give me ballistics on that. I could alert the cops, but then there'd be questions. Besides, I'm sure I'll find out who that gun was intended for soon enough. He slid the panel back and traced his leaps back to floor level. He poked his head under the bed. Nothing there but dust. He opened the door and peeked out into the hallway. He was barely tall enough to turn the knob if he stretched, so he did. The hall was empty. His biggest fear in places like this wasn't people necessarily, but dogs. He was wise enough to know that most dogs weren't a threat, as a rule, but some were just territorial enough to be exactly that. However, the cops had been here, and so the dog, if there was one, was probably at the pound or dead, depending on how aggressive the cops were. He tried to feel bad, but couldn't. He searched the other rooms, but they'd already been gone over by the police. His only hope was to find something else they might have missed, but as he came to the basement, he'd begun to fear that the illegal gun was probably the extent of what he'd find. He opened the basement door and descended the steps, found out his fear was unfounded. Standing in the center of the dark basement was a man, and he was pulling some kind of rope that dangled into the drain in the middle of the basement floor. By the looks of it, it was connected to something. Ulysses ducked into the shadows and stood motionless. The man pulled the rope, hand over hand, until a bundle appeared. He pulled it up, set it aside, and untied the rope from it. It was a canvas bag covered with sewer crud, inside of which was a tied black plastic bag, inside of which was a small oblong case. The man pulled his befouled gloves off, revealing pasty white hands, and opened the case. Inside was a single green vial which seemed to glow with some inner phosphorescence. The man stood up, seemingly straight at Ulysses. He sat motionless in the shadow. The man tilted his head. Kitty, I can see your eyes. His voice sounded amused. Anyone feed you yet, Kitty? You've been down here all this time? Ulysses dared not move. If the man saw his clothes, he was sure bullets would start flying. He blinked and said the cleverest thing he could think of. Wow. The man chuckled. <laughs> well, I'd feed you, but I have an appointment. He pocketed the vial and stood. Auf Wiedersehen. The man began walking straight at the wall, then threw it as if he were a ghost. Well, that's certainly odd. Ulysses sat and waited. Presently, he heard an engine turn over in the street outside and heard the car drive away. Shit! he said, and hopped up to the basement window. Checking to see if it was locked, he cursed. Locked and painted shut. He tried to get a glimpse of the license plate as the car sped off, but he couldn't make it out. The window was just too dirty. Well, this just got more complicated. Exactly one German ghost more complicated. He hopped back down to the floor and looked at the case the vial was in, and a chill ran down his spine as if someone was walking over his grave. It bore the imprint of the research institute that had made him Hamzadi Biotech. By morning, Ulysses was exhausted. He'd basically run halfway across the city to search Hunt's apartment and back. 
He needed food and sleep, and he'd hit this fresh in a few hours. He ate. Kibble was still the cheapest he could buy, and although it tasted terrible, at least it didn't require preparation. He still had a cat's natural aversion to fire. After he ate, he curled up on the couch in his office and slept. Waking up was always hard. Once the sun hit him and warmed him up, something in him said, stretch out and sleep, and made him want to do nothing else. But he was no ordinary cat, so when his computer chirped at him, he forced himself up. Crossing over to his computer and leaping to the top of his desk, Ulysses keyed his computer awake and looked at his email. Cy had come through with the data in record time, which also meant the hacker hadn't reviewed any of it. Ulysses opened the files in turn. Cypher had used the phone's GPS to map out Hunt's last day. He downloaded all his emails, his browser history, and the log of all ingoing and outgoing calls. And a bunch of extraneous crap, like data from the phone's other apps. But he had little interest in Hunt's fitness tracker data. Ulysses spent the majority of his day cycling through the data, checking phone logs, mapping out Hunt's last day, who he called, who he visited. Each call led to a burner phone, each a dead end. The emails were a similar story, 90% junk mail, and the other 10% also junk mail. Whatever Hunt was into, he was smart enough not to talk about it over email. Browser history was full of porn. The map was far more interesting. The last location the phone's GPS registered was his workplace before the phone died. That, at least, gave Ulysses a place to start. The next morning, Ulysses began tracing Hunt's steps following Cypher's GPS map. He stopped at every stop, looking for anything suspicious. A donut shop, a dry cleaner. Ulysses stopped at every one and snooped. Hunt had started his day with a stop at the donut shop. Ulysses snuck inside when an employee was emptying the trash. When the manager was out of the office, Ulysses hopped onto the manager's terminal and looked at sales from that time period yesterday. He'd bought a crawler and a cup of coffee. Nothing sinister there. Ulysses flipped to the day's earnings, then looked at monthly and year-to-date, and came away disappointed. Everything seemed in order. Just a garden-variety donut shop. Ulysses had similar disappointments at the next few stops, even those that looked ripe to be mundering laundering outfits were actually quite plain. They did, however, give Ulysses the idea that Hunt was a man who liked to keep his nose as clean as possible. Hunt had spent the majority of his day at work, but Ulysses didn't dare venture there in the daytime. Instead, he drove to the morgue to get a look at the man himself. Ulysses stretched on his tiptoes to press the door buzzer. A scritch of static and a voice came over the intercom. Here, kitty, kitty. Ulysses nodded his head, unamused. I'm here on business. Yeah, but we don't sell any of the dead meat that comes through here. I'm on a case. Open up before I call the city manager. The city manager, Jeff Warren, had been a friend of his for a while, largely due to his fat envelopes at Christmas time. The door buzzed, and Ulysses hurried to pull it open before it stopped. Inside, the morgue seemed filthy and sterile at the same time. Benefit of an old building, he supposed. It reminded him unsettlingly of the lab where he'd been created. The mortician's assistant, Dave, was on duty. He was a pale, younger man with thick glasses who kept himself immaculate. He smelled oddly of bleach. He looked at Ulysses with contempt. Hey, puss. Dave, need to see my cunt. Dave cocked his head and narrowed his eyes. You just did not say that. Michael, Hunt, deceased. 
I need to see his corpse and his belongings. His autopsy report, if you please. Dave walked away, shaking his head. He pulled out a morgue drawer containing Hunt's body, then went to retrieve the rest. While he was away, Ulysses hopped up to the drawer to examine Hunt. He noted three bullet holes entering the left side of his rib cage, and the entire body had a look of bloating characteristic of having been left in the water too long. He looked at Hunt's face. He'd been a young man, handsome but for his crooked nose. His face now was puffy and blue around the edges. Dave came back pushing a cart. He stopped by the drawer and dropped an envelope on the cart. There you go. Ulysses hopped over to the cart. He had a briefcase full of bills. Police have that. Everything else is here. Ulysses poured over the man's belongings. True enough, there was lipstick on the man's shirt, which smelled of salt water. The contents of his pockets were waterlogged and boring. Ulysses opened the autopsy report and confirmed that he had died of GSWs to the torso, piercing his heart and lungs. The bullets were standard 9mm slugs. Frustrated, Ulysses hopped down. There was nothing here that gave him any confirmation of what he'd been involved in. What's the matter, puss? No milk? He sighed. Yeah, no milk. He walked out of the morgue. He still had a few hours to kill. He returned to his office to review the data one last time. Once there, he turned on his computer to see a fresh email from Cypher titled, Interesting. He opened it. Hey, you. I got curious and traced to some of the burner phone's locations as well. Neat coincidence. One of those phones' GPS data matched Hunt's, but was off by a few minutes at each location. When he went back to work, it sat at a location nearby for like eight hours. Then that phone and two others he had on his recent call list all entered the building. They all left at the same time right when Hunt's phone went dead. Sounds like your boy was killed at work. Did the cops not search there? Ulysses opened the attached files, which included a JPEG of a map with four colored lines, each time stamped callouts at different locations, all converging at the warehouse. If the morgue was a bust, well, this certainly wasn't. I love cell phones. They make all this so much easier, the feline detective thought with satisfaction. Something had gone down at that warehouse. Hunt had gone to negotiate a price for that vial and ended up with a suitcase full of money and a bunch of bullets in his side floating in the bay. Had he tried to con the wrong people and make off with the money? For whatever reason, they weren't able to get the suitcase back. He looked again at the map. They all left at the same time, roughly a minute after Hunt's phone went in the drink. They didn't even try to recover the money. This data had certainly given him a work in theory. All he'd have to do would be to wait until nightfall. Ulysses stuck into the warehouse through an upper story window. If this place had security cameras, he might be able to hack them, see what went down. He made his way cautiously downstairs. The place was a ghost town. He found the manager's office and picked the lock, opening the door. He smiled when he saw the desk. The monitors there were old-school video cassette monitors. He checked to see if the tapes were present, and at least some of them were. He began rewinding the tapes. Using the surveillance system's only monitor, he began looking at videos time spent from the day Hunt died. On each tape, he observed ordinary day-to-day -day functions of the warehouse. Shipments received, inventories, and stored. Orders received, filed, and sent. Workers moseying around with pallet jacks and forklifts, and the occasional supervisor with a clipboard. Hunt was one of these. He'd spent the day going around in a little golf cart, checking inventory and double-checking orders before shipment. Utterly boring. 
Then all the workers appeared to stop work, put away their equipment, and clock out. Time step read almost 5 o'clock. The warehouse sat empty, motionless, for several hours afterward. Then, on tape after tape, he saw the monitor go black just before the time when Hunt returned, then static back to life after the time they were supposed to have left. Was the power cut before the exchange? Suddenly, the monitors went dark. The warehouse had already been unlit, as it was after hours and no one was supposed to be there, but the monitor's glow had been comforting. It suddenly cutting off gave him the distinct impression he was no longer alone. He peeked through the office window to look at the warehouse floor below. He saw three shadowy figures, and he drew his 9mm from its holster across his back. He hopped down and opened the office door. He heard a familiar voice calling out, Here, kitty, 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 we have some tuna for you. Damn, the ghost is here. Ulysses scampered down the stairs quickly and quietly. One of them must have heard him. He heard the sound of footsteps accelerate in his direction. He leapt silently up to a box, then onto another and another, until he was top of the stack of crates. He was just over here. I heard him. Another voice, by the sound of him, a pretty beefy guy. Find him before he finds a hole to sneak through. The third person's footsteps stopped, and as he craned his neck and swiveled his ears trying to find them, suddenly he saw her, a female silhouette hovering about twenty feet away. She raised her arm, and he felt a searing pain throughout his body, yet he was not on fire. He staggered and tumbled off the stack of crates. His neurons screaming, he scrambled for his gun and crouched behind the crates. He squeezed off a few rounds and shouted, I knew you killed Hunt. I knew about the money, and I know about the vial. You've got what you want. If you let me go, I tell my client I couldn't find anything, and we go about our business happy and alive. There was no response. Ulysses checked his mag. He was in over his head, and he knew it. He'd gotten involved in some next-level stuff, and now there were superhumans involved because he discovered too much. And here he was, stuck in a cold, dark warehouse with a 9mm and some boxes between him and certain death. Since we are in a disclosing mood, the German stated, loud enough to carry through the warehouse, we are not here to tie up loose ends or to cover our tracks. We are here to collect merchandise. Ulysses shook his head credulously. Why well, ain't stopping you. Take what you got and go. The German laughed. A hand grabbed Ulysses by the scruff of the neck and hauled him into the air, slapping his 9mm pistol away. It clattered across the floor and slid under a pallet. He was being held at arm's length by the floating woman. The German and the big men stepped forward round the corner. We are here for you, Herr Useless. Ulysses remembered his cage. He had a vague memory of the masked face that came to clean it from time to time. He was not one of the three scientists who had freed him. He was assistant. Even now, he could vaguely remember his hand petting his head as he said softly, Hey there, useless. Useless. He remembered his birthday, the day he'd been named Ulysses after the heroic explorer. He remembered the nameplate that went into the trash. It read, Useless. He remembered the assistant coming later to empty the trash, chuckling at his new name. Nice. Ulysses has a nice ring to it. Ulysses. Useless. He hazily recalled being a kitten and seeing his file open on a table near his cage. 
He saw the words, but couldn't understand them. At the top, he saw letters, and in his mind, he could now read them. Useless. He recalled the day he was freed. He ran through the corridor and leapt over the outstretched hand, trying to collect him. The assistant. He saw the man's ID badge. Hunt. M. Hunt. Ulysses' mind was racing. The world seemed to slow down. Hunt had been at Hamzadi. Hunt must have stolen that file when the project shut down. He's selling it to these guys, but these guys want me too. But how? The German chuckled again, bringing Ulysses back to the moment. The bigger man had produced some duct tape and was unspooling a length of it. I can see that you have fucked some things out. Your little kitty whiskers are twitching and twitching. So did you know that we work for fabricators incorporated? Fabricators, Inc. He'd heard of them. Big-time arms suppliers to supervillains and would-be tyrants. He shook his head no. No? Did you not know that Hamzadi was a subsidiary arm of fabricators? Ulysses could hear the lady researcher's voice in his head. They wanted a weapon, and we gave them a fully functioning person. You'll represent a significant expenditure of resources, Herr Useless. Much time and money was spent to create you, and our employer still feels you may be salvageable. The big man stepped forward with duct tape outstretched. A spark ignited in the small cat. He was caught, outnumbered, defeated. They knew everything about him, well, almost everything. The rage inside him burning white-hot, he yelled, I am not useless! and began twisting and swiveling in the boneless way that cats have when they're caught and angry, and managed to slice open the back of the big man's hand, causing him to yelp. He sunk his teeth into the woman's hand, causing her to drop him. He hit the ground, running. Get him! Save his still pay for his corpse! Shots rang out as he slid around a corner, and he heard running behind him. No, listen for her. His ears swiveled, and he heard her breathing. She was flying and closing in on him. He pivoted in place and leapt. She flew right into him, and he became a tornado of hissing and claws. By the time he leapt down, her eyes were a bloody mess, and she was screaming. That's one down. He scampered away from the coming footsteps. Too late, he tried to turn a corner, and a bullet bit into his abdomen. He yowled in pain. The German chuckled. <laughs> you have not escape. The door... Make for the door. Ulysses scampered to the door. He could see the German and the big man coming at him from the sides. Just get to the door. He pounced through the door as they converged, darting between the big man's legs. Now, something unexpected. Against every fiber of his instinct, Ulysses leapt into the bay. He fought the urge to swim and began sinking into the cold, utter blackness. It was time to shed the trappings of civilization. She had the cozy life he'd made for himself. In time, the city would forget him. After all, he was only a cat. 